0: Hello there and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith today. I am thrilled to be speaking to Kurt Brownola, an amazing American comic who, as well as having a sensational special called Perfectly Stupid, which is out now in a bewildering variety of places, as he will explain later on, um, you can certainly find them at kurtbrownola.com. Um, you can, yes, I've said that correctly, kurtbraunola.com. I'm not going to spell it for you. Google what you think it is and chances are you'll find it or check the show notes. Um, But uh, his special is just, it's just a barnstorming, really like a really satisfying bridge between his kind of alt sensibilities and the fact that he can definitely take the roof off in a, in a club club um, and I'm just I'm just absolutely in love with him I saw him many years ago in Montreal I saw him years before that when he was uh, doing a double hosting double act with Kristen um, uh, Schaal uh, and measuring the temperature of people's crotches with a remote laser device uh, he also as we will hear uh, kickstarted a campaign to get a Skywriter to write How Do I Land? rather memorably. Um, So he is bubbling over with energy and enthusiasm and uh, I was going to say comedy smarts, but that doesn't suit me at all. My point is he's very, very clever. He's very brilliant. And uh, there are no extras from this episode because I'm giving you the whole thing. We talked for about an hour and a quarter and every moment of it is scintillating. So here without further ado is Kurt Brownholler. welcome to the show i i I want to pronounce your name correctly i'm Mm. guessing it's braunola
1: is that correct yes
0: that is uh, that's how you would guess to pronounce it yeah well i'm closer to germany than you yeah i guess so you know what i mean there's a there's there's maybe more things like that i'm glad i've got that right no you really
1: do everyone says braun braunola or or braun yeah so you you did it right great
0: times i have seen you live on a number of occasions wow um and uh, I saw you. I first saw you with uh, Kristen and Charles mm-hmm. um, when you were in a Spiegel tent at the Edinburgh Festival, doing measuring the temperature of people's crotches. <laughs> yes, with a with a with a, te- with a laser temperature gun. Yeah. How long ago was that? Because I feel like that was a long time ago.
1: That was probably two thousand nine. Because okay. two thousand eight, we were in a theater. In Edinburgh, and then 2009 we came back. No, 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 no. It's probably 2010 because okay. 2009 we came back. We did the dumbest thing, man. We because like <clears throat> 2008 we got nominated for like the comedy award in Edinburgh, and then 2009 we were like, well, we don't have a new show, so we're not going to go back to Edinburgh. And then Avalon, who was our manager at the time, was like, you should go back. Just go back with your old show and just do two week run. And and then we're and we ag- we weirdly agreed to do that, and then all of the all the materials, all the marketing materials said we were doing our old show from two thousand eight, but then we were like that's lame, and without <laughs> telling anyone, we wrote a new show and did a totally new show, and it was confusing on like eight levels. <laughs> So it's all these people were coming to see this show that won, that got nominated for an award the year before, and we just wrote a new. It was a totally new show, oh and it probably—I don't know. I think it was still good, but it wasn't the show people were expecting, and okay. so everyone was upset. Uh, and then, and then we didn't. All, and then we also didn't get the cred for having written a new show. Oh, because yeah. everyone thought it was the old show anyway and oh, we had to like God. constantly explain it was so dumb and so then 2010 we were we just did hot tub in a spiegel tent where we would just do like a couple bits and then have guests on right is that okay. where you saw it? yes it was yes like, that yeah. would have
0: been it yeah 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 that would have been it exactly i think i think that may have been was hannibal on that show i think that was the year that hannibal did his kind yeah of hannibal intro. was there yeah, that would make sense. Okay, awesome. Well, what I loved about that was you had such a kind of alt sensibility, and I've since I've, I've actually played hot tub in your absence once when I was oh. uh, briefly in the states. I'm sorry, um, I wasn't there? No, I'm sorry you weren't there because now I feel like I've snuck into your house and kind of moved the things around. <laughs> but but that kind of hot tub alt sort of sensibility. Um, is uh, I just love it. I love alt-Americans because I think the the idea over in the, in the UK, at least, of an American kind of mainstream stand-up, like there's a lot of uh, associations with that. Yeah. Whereas people who are, and I always think, I, I think it's, I don't know if it's braver, I think it's nobler somehow because there is such an established circuit in the States of flying around the place, getting your jokes, polishing them down. What, I mean, it's come up on this podcast before Stuart Lee, um, the way he describes uh, American comedy, I don't know if you've heard this before, is um, people uh, polishing eight minutes about nothing into five minutes about even less. You know, that kind of... Uh, uh, that that sort of, that idea of like a kind of razor sharp, banging, kill anywhere, do any gig thing. Yeah. I love when Americans go, no, no, sir, I'm going to measure the temperature of people's crutches. So so just talk to me about that kind of... that. Altness and what it means to you, because you are you're well known as a comic for not exactly well one or two stunts, you know the skywriting yeah. and stuff. We can talk about that, but for kind of embracing absurdity in a way that relatively few Americans do.
1: Um, well, thank you for saying all those things. I I I think it was because I came up in New York City in uh, the mid two thousands. Uh, first, I have been improvising for a long time. Um And then I decided I wanted to start writing. And so that's when I got together with Kristen and we started Hot Tub together. And that was really the first time I, I had ever started to write. And so I was writing for both of us. And okay. both of our sensibilities were just uh, weirder than normal. And to the point where I didn't, like, I had shied away from stand-up because of that idea of what you're talking about where it's like there's kind of like a yeah the club comedy aspect of it was the stuff that I did not like. Um, it was often racist, it was often sexist it was often homophobic. It was all like the bad things of society just reinforcing them I felt. Um, but then I saw Eugene Merman ah. and Eugene Merman he was—he's really like the godfather of the alt scene in the two th- in like the two thousands in New York City, um, and he had this show invite them up, and I remember seeing Eugene for the first time, and he had like a, a like a children's toy that was you that was supposed to be for like sleepovers or something and it would like tell secrets or something and so he would like have it he would play it into the mic and then like talk about it and i was like oh this is now this is like awesome but it was stand-up you know it was just it was straight up stand-up there were jokes Um, But it was about, you know, unconventional topics and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that. And when I finally saw Eugene, I was like, that, I identify with that. I I would like to do something like that. And so he really was my inspiration and a little bit of a mentor for me um, coming up. I remember once, because I had been doing stand-up for, I don't know, like four or five years, and he saw me do stand-up. He's like, you know what? I've seen you do stand-up a lot, and this was the first time you made sense. (laughs) Because it was, I started real weird. Like, my stand-up was super weird, to the point where, like, people were not, there has to be a level of shared, uh, of shared reality between a performer (laughs) and an audience, and I did not have that. I was just in my weird head uh and doing very strange things so it's just been can
0: i just pin you down on some of the very strange things because i know there will be people listening to this who are fans of yours newer comics absurdists and so forth let's just talk about that the elasticity of the relationship between like maintaining the reality Mm -hmm. between the performers just mad bullshit anything's possible ideas and actually bringing them along with you
1: i uh i would do this and i did it a lot i did this piece a lot which was uh, like it was a, I guess a, a, a cross between that. That's why it was confusing. It wasn't like making fun of one thing or another. It was I. It was like an inspirational speaker who was all about um, sending your bills to jail. Like if you, <laughs> if you had bills, we could just simply incarcerate the bills. And so you wouldn't have to pay them anymore because they would be in a maximum security prison. And so like that is such a dumb (laughs) idea. Like, do you see how it it mixes multiple metaphors? It also doesn't. The re, there's, the, the, there's no reality to it whatsoever. And there's, the,
0: there's no human element, really. There's it's no, kind of
1: quite... Yeah. <laughs> yes, there's no human element to it either. But I would just, like, scream very emphatically, send your bills to jail! And, like, it was, like, a, a multi-step process for how to do that. And then it just, like, jumped the rails with that idea and went into another crazy weird idea as well. Um, so it was just, like, just... It was weirdness on top of weirdness on top of weirdness. And at certain rooms and that's the problem too. Yeah. In certain rooms it destroyed because it was just so fucking weird. People were just like, "I don't know what the fuck this guy's talking <laughs> about, but he's he's very, he's very loud about it."
0: Yes, almost like there is an element of I see that a lot of like the when someone is completely
1: committed. Yes.
0: Sometimes you can't help but get swept along even right. though you're thinking, "I don't I don't get it, but I get that you get
1: it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um and so yeah, that was uh that was like one of my earliest ones, I think. You know, I think actually the first joke I ever wrote was, it just was light, like it was dark. And, uh, and then in the dark, there was a voiceover that said, "Now, now we join you for my own private Ivanhoe already in progress. <laughs> and then the lights came up and I was just reading Ivanhoe um and then i looked up and then i told the audience to shh and then i went back to reading and then the uh, lights reading went it, down again reading it
0: to yourself just to like, myself not quietly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like that i think that's good that's coherent
1: that's a coherent joke yeah, yeah yeah but it's a lot of build up for one dumb pun it's just a pun that's all yeah. it is
0: yeah so so you would you'd done lots of improvisation before this yeah So that's, I think, I mean, that's something I see like, um, for people who have done lots of improv, they, uh, there is, I suppose, more of a, I don't know, more courage necessarily, but more, more idea of what's possible.
1: Yeah. 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 You Um, can see how
0: someone could commit to an apparently senseless concept.
1: Yes. I think that that is, and I do think that people are always asking me like, oh, well, so you improvise for so long that must have really helped when you started to do stand up and i don't kn- and i don't know if it did like the only, the thing that it helped was f- for me to feel comfortable standing on stage mm-hmm. and that's pretty much it cuz st- i think the stand up brain and the improv brain are so radically different at least for me um because yeah like imp- yeah it was just i i found it I expected to be. I, I essentially started over because I didn't start doing stand up until I was 29. So I'd been improvising from 22 to 29, thinking, oh, well, this is going to be no problem. And it was okay. such a problem. I was just really <laughs> bad at stand up for so long.
0: Because part of you felt like, I guess I could just improvise some stand up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And like, it's. And I've had, and I had done that too. I used to do improvise. I had a fully improvised one man show that I used to do where I would do a herald by myself. So playing like multiple characters um, called the One Man Jam. Um, So I was like, okay, well, I can do that. And that was successful. I can probably do the stand up. And then I was like, nope, Nope. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell
0: me about that moment of realization? Like, or a series of moments? Like, did you. Oh, yeah. How much did you yeah and kind of put, put us in that if you will because that's like you 're someone who is you 're very very proficient in both camps, so the moment when you realize the two things are not the same is kind of fascinating
1: yeah i was it was the very first hot tub show two thousand and five february twenty second two thousand and five was my birthday, <laughs> and that 's why I remember the date and um, I had invited it was a very tiny theater forty person theater called the pit in New york city uh, so we probably had like forty or fifty people in there. And it's the first one, it's very exciting and Kristen and I do our bit and it goes really well. And we we have like three bits and then Kristen does her bit that she and she'd been doing stand up, quote unquote, for like five years. Um and so she had bits that just worked. She does really well. All the other comics do well. And then I go up to do stand-up. And it's two dead silence for five minutes. Like, I only wrote five minutes. But it was two dead silence. And I was like, what? And it was like this crazy feeling of like... Because I hadn't... Like, bo- like I had bombed in doing improv. You, you, it's in, it's inevitable. But it was, like, not that... Where I was, like, presenting someone, something that I had prepared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I had worked hard on it. When improv bombs, it's like, oh, well, you know, we we missed the mark that time. No worries. It's, it's thrown sure. away. But There's this was, like...
0: That's the difference, isn't it? Stand-up is promising to make you laugh with something I've prepared.
1: Yes. And improv um, is more or less like, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what we get.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and is there is there an element of that looking back now after many years doing stand up do you do you have a different appreciation on them on the th- on like a way it could have gone or or parallels that there could be because i think there are stand ups who you you can play stand up with a sort of um let's see how this goes quality yes
1: yeah yes possibly you know i but i really my when i started thinking about what i liked about stand up and what i liked about stand up was like a ton of a ton of little jokes like that's the that's the thing that i really liked i think about dave attell um i remember li- before i even wanted to do stand up i remember listening to that first dave attell record um and just being like there's so many crazy little weird jokes here and i like that It's just like bam 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 i like that that rep- you know that that I just love listening to jokes, you know, and so that's what I wanted to do. And so I think because of that, the fact that that's the aesthetic that I liked, I did go away from kind of more of like a Rory Scoville kind of like, uh, like, let's just see what happens, um, you know, when I'm doing stand up. Um, It's
0: quite hard hard to riff one liners.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, because that's what I think I like. That's what I was like, well, if we're doing up, like, let's do it. That's what in my head, I think, you know, as opposed to improv. But I don't know. I, I think that that maybe was a, a process that I had to go through. And it's now I'm trying to get back more to a, to a less structured time on stage. And I still have uh, trouble doing it.
0: Okay, okay. I saw you at at Montreal. It was the show where you took people outside uh, with a frame. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid to say I saw the frame bit from afar, having decided I didn't. You know, earlier in that show, you would say... You know, well, yeah. I can't remember what the mechanism was, but it, it was, was like if, whether or if not you, you trust, trust me, me. Yeah, yeah, and of course I trusted you, but I thought I'm also a comic and I don't want to get put up on stage. I don't know what's going to happen here, so uh-huh. I didn't do it. But I snuck around the side of the building afterwards and like, what am I missing
1: out on? <laughs> and that was
0: that was a beautiful thing. That seemed that felt very um, Edinburgh fringe to me.
1: Yes, well, I, that I, kind of idea. I, I put it together for Montreal because I was doing, I guess, like a month of a run or a three week run in Montreal, and. And I had been – I've never done a solo show at Edinburgh, um, but I kind of have an idea of what an Edinburgh solo show, uh, you know, concept is. And so I wanted to kind of try my hand at that, I think. Okay. And – and this was the finale. And just to explain it to people who didn't see the show, I would like the whole the show, the, the hour was called Trust Me, which I uh, later recorded for Comedy Central. And it does exist out there. You can listen to it, but it's in a different version than what it was when I was doing it in Montreal. And I asked the audience if they trusted me and if you trusted me to come up and get a blindfold from stage. Um, And this was, like, right before, like, the last eight or ten minutes of the show. And then some people would come up and get a blindfold. And then I would finish the show. And then I would say, if you have a blindfold, um, please join me over on, like, the side. And then I would blindfold everyone. And then the rest of the audience would leave. But then the people who trusted me, I would blindfold them all. And then we would walk down these, like, rickety stairs. I don't know which venue you (laughs) saw me in. And they would come out. And I had like two stage hands holding this giant frame like a frame like it it was like eight feet by six feet or something like that and so it was framing a corner of the city of montreal and then i started like played like kind of music that you would almost like hear in a like the opening of a of a movie I imagined. And then I told them like, when you take your blindfold off, like everything you see, it was purposefully made for you, like Mm. for this moment. And then what happened and then whatever, it was just the, it was just the street corner, you know, it was just whatever was happening on the street corner. Um, but then all of a sudden when you put this like framing around it, it really becomes like, it's just an old, it's an old theater exercise, you know? Um, it's like an old clowning exercise, I think. Um, but just making it kind of like purposeful. It kind of, it's, it's oftentimes would be very beautiful. It oftentimes would, everything all of a sudden, like somebody just going into a store and then coming out again becomes uh, purpose. It becomes like fascinating and beautiful if you think of it all as being uh, choreographed as opposed to completely yeah. random. Yeah. And like that idea that randomness is choreographed, which is kind of like... It, it, that could be the, the the reality of the situation. Do you know what I mean? Like if we look at time, right? If we talk about keep, like... Keep like, going, keep going. I want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> if we talk about how time, space-time continuum actually does exist, like all of our moments, we experience time linearly, but like time doesn't exist linearly. It actually exists as a big landscape. And all of the things that we have done, we were always doing Um, And this is just like deep physics shit that I barely understand, Um, but I've seen a map of it, you know, where you actually like take your three dimensional map and then you expand it uh, outward with every, with every moment of your life and everything that's been happening, but it's all there. It's all actually in reality, like everyone who's ever alive is still alive, you know, from a, from a quantum physics level. Everything that ever happened is currently happening right now. Um, but we happen to just be locked into experiencing it in a, in a linear way. Um, like there's that, that uh, Kurt Vonnegut has in one of his books he talks about trafalgars or whatever
0: oh trafalmadorians
1: yeah the trafalmadorians yeah. and it says like yeah. humans are on a they experience time like you're looking through a uh, like a metal tube that's attached to a push cart that's on a railroad track and you're looking at just one small part of a mountain as you're in a, inexorably like going forward in time whereas the trafalmadorians can just see the whole mountain you know and yes. like so that is the, that's kind of to get very pretentious about yeah, the yeah, fact yeah. that it's just a fucking frame and people well, are looking for I, through. No, I, I, bet, you, I yeah. bet you a bunch of people were pretty bummed out that that's all that happened.
0: <laughs> well, what I thought what I was thinking was you've managed to find an admirably low budget way of showing us that <laughs> concept a wooden frame and two guys.
1: Yeah, and two guys <laughs> and a little Bluetooth speaker. <laughs>
0: So this is Kurt. No extras on this episode. It's all here. But if you would like to get access to all of the extras from every episode that has them, which is now hundreds of hours of extra content, you can do that at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, supporting the podcast as you no doubt wish to with a minimum donation of £2 a month or as much as you like. Everyone gets the same stuff. Um, Also, there's exclusive Insiders Q&As. There's uh, access to special recordings with Nish Kumar, Alfie Brown, James Acaster and Fern Brady. And you know what? Maybe I'll do some more of those coming up because I'm going to take... um, Am I allowed to take another short break after only nine episodes in the last two and a half months? Um, I think I'm going to have to because this book is I'm not going to use the phrase killing me, but it's certainly if you commit to writing 1500 words a day, particularly when you're not even, oh God, the luxury of simply making the words up. You would not believe the administration required behind the scenes um, to get all of the, I mean, not even all, like what, 1% of the 400 plus episodes of this podcast of the best bits of the moments to even find them and transcribe that work out the best bit of the Nish Kumar episode or or the the most perfect thing Tim Minchin said about whatever um, and get those things and transcribe them and put them in and then reflect on them and leap from one to the other. I mean, it's mad. It's an insane endeavour. I can't believe I'm in the middle of it. We've just hit thirty thousand words, and when we say we, I mean I. Um, so um, I do actually. I do mean we because there are um, some significant helpers on board uh, whose roles will become more apparent as we go forward. But um, it's Muggins here who's got to smash the words out and. I'm going to say it. It's killing me. So I'm going to take another short break. I say another. I'm feeling guilty about it. Nine episodes isn't bad. That's tons of content. Um, I think what I'm planning to do is I've got one or two um, uh, booked up, which I will put out to you in an irregular fashion. uh, And I think probably after Christmas, I hope to have broken the back of the book by Christmas. Anyone who's written a book will be listening to this thinking, (laughs) will you, mate? I look forward to seeing that. But I just need to take the pressure of interviewing and administrating and all the rest of it off because there is so much other stuff to do. So bear with me while we do that. Um, and uh, go and see, go online in a travelling way. I mean, go and see Kurt if you're anywhere near anywhere he is. But I highly recommend you go to kurtbrownola.com. K U R T B R A U N dot com and uh download or otherwise access his album Perfectly Stupid. You will not regret it. It's excellent. You can follow him on Twitter at Kurt Brownola and on Instagram at Kurt Brownola. So please feel free to do that. Everything you need to get in touch with me is available at link dot it's like Linktree, linktra.e slash Stuart Goldsmith, or go to comedianscomedian.com or stuartgoldsmith.com where you can join the mailing list. There will probably, by the time you hear this, still be a little micro announcement at the very beginning of the episode saying go Go to comedianscomedian.com slash unmissable to submit your unmissable moments. And holy hell, you have been doing it. Thank you. Um, I check in on it every so often and I'm going to have to start checking in on it every day because everyone is jumping in there. And do you know what? I'll read you a few to just give you the sense of what people are contributing. Here we are. Look at this. Um uh Elliot says... I'll just do first name, so I'm not... Uh, um Uh, giving anything away. Uh, Elliot talks about the Lauren Patterson episode in the discussion about class and privilege, imposter syndrome and supporting your career with a day job. Um, Susie suggests the Robert Popper episode where he says, I take a deep breath and say, here we go. I think I referred to this one last time. Let's go further down the list. Um, Uh, Vinay would like to point out the extra section of the Deborah Francis White episode has got some great tips about getting through job interviews. It certainly does. Um, uh, Jake says the Barry Cryer episode too many great stories in this episode to single out not helpful Jake I know it's brilliant but come on (laughs) zero in zero in man Um, Brian says Chris Addison describing getting his first experiences in the role of director and the confidence trick and responding to his gut feelings. Uh, Richard suggests the Joe Brand story about being at an awards ceremony. Um, Duncan suggests the Gary Delaney episode in the explanation of the three parts to a joke. Um, Paul suggests the bit when I say he's great. Unbelievable. Um, uh, but, 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 but there's just loads and loads of these. Um, Matt berating Milo McCabe for telling himself it's OK to die, t- telling himself in the mirror before a show at Jonglers, it's OK to die, and then proceeding to die. I'd forgotten about that. I look forward to listening back to that. Um, Mark suggests Ria uh, feeling always on the outside of life and recognising that rather than being the slightly weird one in the office, she could be the next one on stage. All of this stuff is so, so good, and it just it helps me enormously to be able to scan through these and go yes and that kicks off another memory it fires off another thing i'm enjoying this process enormously brackets it's killing me but if you would like to join in killing me <laughs> by now have i put together the the domain killstew.com, which leads you to this list no i haven't i haven't got time so if you would like to join in uh killing me look what martin's done martin episode 6 adam bloom quote 1 there's a good chance i'll improvise another punchline under the pressure of the audience needing another joke so useful. Thank you, Martin, because that's a thing I definitely think and know. And now I can go, look, like Adam Bloom says, and I can even work out quickly at what point he says it and what have you. So admin, 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 as you can hear, I'm going bananas. Uh, I'm going to let you get back to Kurt Brownola so that I can finish up this and get back down the, the archive mine, get back down the insight mine with my little head torch and my pick and probably a canary. That dies if it hears banter here's Kurt so your your kind of um your artistic sensibility like to to what extent is your journey into kind of strange concepts like that or the skywriting? or the I mean I was listening back today to the, the How Do I Land the mm-hmm. Show which I was I'm afraid just I was listening to it on a YouTube rip of the cassette upon which you released it <laughs> but the yeah, the fact the fact that you released it on cassette the fact it's about doing a Kickstarter as you did to raise thousands of dollars in order to get a skywriter to write How Do I Land in the air those kind of like things that you could do you do you have a um, a name for that sort of stuff like I, you know weird shit or whatever like what do you what do you how do you ring fence that kind of stuff as opposed to standing on a stage telling jokes
1: um i don't know i don't really know if i have a name for it because some people call them stunts and i don't really agree with that they're yeah. stunts and some people call them pranks and i don't agree with their pranks um it's almost i the only the best way i i wrote a kind of sentence for myself before i did that um which was like my reason for existence as a comedian, which was to insert absurdity into strangers lives to make the world a better place. And so that's just like, yeah, it's just inserting absurdity um, for the most part.
0: So, so those moments of inserting absurdity, to what extent are they, what's the question? I mean, Uh, to what extent are they like the driving force of what you do or are they the, the ideas that you have that wouldn't work as written jokes are they kind of like spare ideas, or spare ideas that then become more important than the other ideas? Or like, how, how do you see those things in in the in the context of stand up stand up?
1: I on a certain level, stand up is economic. On a certain level, and I think that these bigger these absurd inserting absurdities are non economic. They function outside of. Uh, me being able to make a living you know and so they are (laughs) that's
0: a really good answer yeah (laughs) that's a really simple yeah that's right there's the heart of it yeah Yeah.
1: they are simply for the beauty of the absurdity um and i think that that's how i separate them out and i would love to just do those um but uh you know these goddamn kids are so hungry
0: oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh I mean, it does occur to me, the skywriting... What year was the skywriting
1: thing? Was it 2013, 2014? I think 2013, yeah. So, like, yeah, nine years ago.
0: So, it it occurred to me as I was listening to it, this is the sort of thing which... You could sort of imagine a Mr Beast or someone doing it now, you know, a YouTuber who kind of yes. like they've got the they've sorted out the economics. Right. Someone exactly. like someone like and I don't know much about YouTubers, I'm in my forties, but yeah. there's this guy <laughs> called that there's there's this one called Mr. Beast, and he seems to do some really incredible, funny ideas. Yeah. Which are often benevolent, often yeah. absurd. And um really I was I just sort of thought about the skywriting in that context because I was like oh did you did you ever attempt to kind of connect it to an online following or did you succeed maybe I don't know about whereby that that could drive the economics of it because you could sort of create a place for yourself as a as a a professional absurdity inserter
1: yeah I yeah and I simply did not I simply did not do it (laughs) I think I was just trying to figure everything out for the, like, for the most part. You know, I, I had a podcast at that time, um, that, you know, very few people listened to, but one of the things I was doing was I was blindfolding comics and putting them in my car and driving them somewhere they've never been. And then they had to like figure out where they were and how they'd get home. Um, it was called Get Lost and and so yeah so I was trying to do that but I wasn't like I wasn't on YouTube you know what I mean I like I couldn't yeah. wrap my head around that then now just because I've been forced to with Instagram reels and shit like that, and have been like forced to kind of like understand more how that stuff works. Now I feel like with my knowledge, I could, if I could go back to 2013, that it should be the way I go.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm, I, uh, I'm probably, I have similar feelings about being forced to use Instagram. I mean, I think of our age and our mutual, I mean, I started around 27, I think Um, we've, we've have seen in our different countries, in our different contexts, we've both seen, the job become I'm not going to use the word corrupted but it's very different now you know like the expectations are very different the possibilities are so much more kind of tangible and in many ways the I mean I was having a I, I feel like if I talk to someone who's a younger comic than me who is uh, really all on on top of Instagram Reels, yeah. then I feel like the dinosaur. And if I speak to a comic five years down the line yes. over me, they feel like the dinosaur, and I'm like this young guy telling them what they should be doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's this yeah. extraordinary thing that in a, within our careers we've seen the the job change radically.
1: So it's so insane, and also the fact that like it used to be, you used to not want to burn material. Right. Like that used to be the thing, like your material is precious. Don't burn it. Um, And now it's just like burn it constantly. (laughs) You have to keep this fire heated for the steam to be generated for capitalism to exist. Throw your jokes into the fire (laughs) at all times. You have to post a fucking clip a day, man. It drives me crazy. And
0: And how do you feel about that? It drives you crazy. Do you feel resentful?
1: I don't feel resentful, um, I mean, a little bit, you kind of, a little, because what I feel resentful about is that, um, that these systems that we have kind of, meaning Instagram reels, meaning TikTok, meaning YouTube shorts, they are... They're opaque boxes where their algorithms change constantly, and so once you kind of figure out what works to actually like get your – because all you want is for somebody to see your stand-up and then maybe come see one of your shows or like go buy your special – once you figure out how it works, they change the algorithm like the next day, but they don't, there's no information on how it changes or what's being valued now. And then you're in this, all of a sudden you watch like what was like doing really well, all of a sudden crash. And then you're just like, what did I, I'm doing everything that this fucking machine wants me to do. And now I have to figure out what the new thing is by simply guessing and by simply changing small things here and there. And you're trying to like game this algorithm which has hundreds and hundreds of uh, of architects you know they 're changing things all the time, little little details that maybe affect you a lot or maybe don 't affect you at all and that 's the part that drives me crazy where it 's like they 're changing it just to make sure i don't know why they change it they change it for billions of reasons but that's the part that is very
0: to stop people learning how to do it right to stop i think it's almost like and then monetizing here's how to do it
1: yes exactly it's like it's almost like as soon as you can monetize it and it's all because that's what we're doing it for right we're doing it for if not monetization from the actual app itself but monetization later down the road through ticket sales or through special Mm. purchases or whatever Mm. And that's the part that just feels like it's a treadmill that will never stop.
0: Yeah, I often think um, if that's the if that was in the initial job description, maybe I'd have done something else. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know what the other thing would be, but I think any course now that's I, I know there are there are universities in the UK there are one or two which do, offer stand up comedy as a module, and yeah. I guess and I perhaps they are, but I guess they should all be incorporating video editing training.
1: Yeah. Because
0: that's what the thing is. And also flexibility and and training people in the resilience to cope with the fact that as soon as you get a bajillion followers on something, the app closes and is replaced with something else. I
1: know I was, I had a, um, I had a line I wrote for like, if, (laughs) if I like had a heckler, which was like, Hey, you look like the kind of guy who, uh, puts how many TikTok followers they have in their Instagram profile. <laughs> <laughs> you piece of shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk let's talk about those kind of those kind of jokes. Those sort of short jokes, little observations. Um I'm um, just trying to... I made some notes. It was just stuff about, like, fuck saxophones. Um, the joke The joke about hoarder. I mean, I love your joke about hoarders, which I did. I oh, mean, I, I saw it on the special, and then I uh, saw it on an Instagram reel, and I uh-huh. went, oh, I remember that one. I'll talk to Kim <laughs> about that one. But the, the premise that... Um, that, you know, we we let billionaires have stuff and I'm not a systems guy. I don't know if that's a good system, but I've seen hoarders where we say this woman has 25,000 magazines. Apologies while I butcher your bit. Yeah, yeah. And we say you can't have them. That's not allowed for you to have that stuff. That is such a beautiful, elegant, big, you know, societal problem admission that we don't know necessarily how to fix it yeah but we're fixing it in a different context and just connecting those dots i just think it's such a beautiful bit oh thank you so yeah you know, it's lovely it's lovely it makes, and it's, it's
1: make people very upset online which is great does for it really views. Oh, oh yeah why, just ha- why are right. they
0: upset about that
1: oh there's these right wing fucking monsters who are just like this person is calling for the murder of billionaires and oh, so yeah. <laughs> and they're like oh, yeah, first do, they're gonna come that, for billionaires yeah. <laughs> i do i do call yeah. for the murder of them um for there and they're like first they're gonna come for billionaires and then they're gonna come for you and it's just like these people fighting in the comments which is great for views it just yes. drives it because the instagram the algorithm sees that and it's like oh yeah and that's what i realized too which i do think is 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 shitty it the algorithm the instagram algorithm favors shit that's that's just incendiary it doesn't yeah. favor good jokes <laughs> my bits that piss people off are the ones that get millions of views like I have another joke where I say uh, fuck anybody who's ever climbed Mount Everest and that drives bros insane (laughs) like they don't they have no information about what's actually like to climb Everest they have no information they're just like that's cool yo you fuck you man that's cool and they go and they go crazy and so then the algorithm is just like throw it to as many people as possible so it's like that's that's the one thing I also don't like about it is that it does, it always favors incendiary stuff over actual yeah. quality content.
0: And, and as a result, a lot of the people that we think of as the big online video content producers, the Rogans yeah. and those kind of things, you know, that is, I mean, that's definably a part of the success. Yes, yeah. Saying things that people argue will argue over, and that yes. isn't the same as saying worthwhile things. Exactly. And there's no way out, Kurt. What there's do we no do? Way out. <laughs>
1: I know. How do you write an algorithm that's like that's a good joke? I'll throw this yeah. to a lot of people.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I volunteer. I volunteer to take the place of the algorithm <laughs> and to watch all the stand up and go. That has a bunch of quality. <laughs> um, Just for any future artificial intelligence listening, I retract my uh, volunteering to take the (laughs) role of any algorithm. I think that could be an issue. But when it when it comes to making the stuff, so for example, with that bit, is that an idea that you were watching Hoarders and it popped fully formed into your head? Are you sitting down with a notebook trying to write stuff about billionaires because you're passionate about it? Where Where do you arrive at that bit from? As an example, the
1: ladder. It's the ladder. I that bit that finding that end. Was a long time in the coming for it. Like uh, that bit used to end very differently, um, and it w- never worked. And it and uh, and then when I found the hoarders comparison, it finally worked. And it and it, and I think it just got down to what it, what 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 drives me crazy about the concept of billionaires um, is that it, it it is it's just it's. <laughs> To have more money than you could ever spend in your entire life, or that your or that your children's or children's children's or children's childrens could ever possibly need or spend it is is irrational, and it is they're they're who they are hoarders you know they are yeah. they're hoarding wealth in, an, in a fucking insane way um and then the, of course in the instagram comments everyone 's just like they're not that that money isn't money it it's cap it's it's not money in a bank asshole it's and I'm like yeah okay but he could sell something and then have all that money (laughs) (laughs) like just because I have money in my house doesn't mean I don't have that money
0: yeah I'm really I'm kind of relieved to hear I'm excited to hear that it's it's through sitting down with a pen and kind of writing around the subject and trying to get there I feel like my a a, a few memorable episodes of this show recently have been with comics who are like nah it just falls into my head I'm like shut up don't tell me that I (laughs) I want to I'm I'm really interested in people wrangling with stuff I really want to more and more I think I'm kind of wrangling with I'm writing a lot about the environment at the moment and about climate change and how the fuck you know I think I've been for a long time a bit stuck thinking well if I can't propose something better Uh as a comic then I don't have the right to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And one way or another I've stopped feeling that. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I think that's important. Do you have you ever been kind of sidetracked or or waylaid by that sensation that you should be offering a solution? Or 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 do you ever feel like you know, having an opinion on something when you don't offer a solution is a funny, but B kind of sniping from the sidelines. Like of I think value somehow.
1: Yeah, I, I I tend to think um I tend to think kind of the what what I say in that joke which is like I'm not an expert you know so I'm sure I do I do have hope that there are much smarter people than me who have dedicated their lives to thinking about economic systems and I hope that they have a better idea because I don't think anything that I can come up with with my limited understanding of economic systems or of environmental catastrophes that would I would be able to actually have a better idea so i, I don 't think it's, i don 't think it 's just sniping from the sides to point out a problem and to make people laugh about it because especially with things like the environment, there are still people who can 't wrap their head or refuse to wrap their head around it um, and so to still point at the problem is i still think to point at the problem and make people while making people laugh, I still think is valuable because um, until it really sinks in for everyone, nothing can change, and I think the helping sink in is not a is not a um, dishonorable uh, uh, you know desire.
0: Yeah, I think um, I, th- I I go so I go I go back and forth really on sometimes I think like this is this just sort of are we just kind of. Are we court jesters in a positive way, drawing uh-huh. attention, reversing stuff? Or are we yeah. court jesters in a kind of a, no, I'm just playing for the court? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm getting yeah. my money and then that'll do me. And I, I never really know. Sometimes I feel like uh, nothing we save really makes that much difference. The things that make the difference are scientists and politicians and those mm-hmm. kind of things. And then other times I, I feel like, well, there are reasons why I'm left wing. And a lot of those reasons are the stand up comedy. That I watched as a kid. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do
1: you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so yeah.
0: sometimes I feel like it does have, you know, change the world type value. Have yeah. you do you do you have um and I know this is you know it's not necessarily your stock in trade is big world changing, you know, political yeah. agitation necessarily. <laughs> but do you do you have a bit that you are particularly proud of from the perspective of I tackled a real thing and got something real out of it?
1: Um I think maybe um, yeah, I mean, maybe that Everest bit, like that Mount Everest bit is, st- I still totally agree with it. <laughs> um, I, I still think it sucks, uh, to climb <laughs> Everest for multiple reasons. But also I realized that that joke actually came out of, uh, my mom dying. Cause my mom was, my mom had cancer and that's where, that's the weirdest part that I, that's how I weirdly got to that joke. It's in a very backdoor way because it's it, – at the time when she died, there's like eight or nine states now that assisted suicide is legal but in very rare, rare, rare circumstances. And my mom had asked to die in her like last week of hospice and – um and my, her husband told me that if I helped her die, she, he would call the police and have me arrested. And and I looked it into it, and I was like, oh, that is it is totally illegal. You're not allowed to uh, assist someone who has who's who's already she she's going to she died like four days later, but she suffered for four days, you know, mm-hmm. and so. And that's what was getting me angry thinking about these people climbing Everest. And they pay so much money to climb Everest. You pay like – or at least whenever I recorded that bit, it was like six or seven years ago. You pay $65,000, if not more, to climb Everest. And the potential of you dying is pretty high. And that's totally legal. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how I got into that bit, which was just anger over the fact that assisted suicide is not legal. And I think that I, I think that that's one of like my, my true, like my biggest truest beliefs is that assisted suicide should be legal. It should be it should be very regulated, um, but it should be legal, especially for terminally ill patients. And now we'll go to a sting. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: the end of the show. It's, it remind me. It's perfectly stupid. Per-
1: perfectly stupid. Yeah.
0: Perfectly stupid.
1: The Out right that- now. On Moment. co,
0: if you're listening. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, tell, well. Uh, let's get to that because it is. It's, you've released it in quite an interesting way that I think yeah. we should talk about as well because so that's uh, that's an interesting kind of technological experiment and an attempt to kind of yeah. wrestle control of it. Why have you? But just in terms of the content, the end of that show um, has again what I think of as a sort of a more of an Edinburgh sensibility than I'm used to from a from an American comic in terms of you're talking about a real thing. You're talking about the death of your mother and, and, you know, you've discovered your wife's pregnant and those sorts of things. Does that, did did that feel like a new thing for you? Or are you familiar, are you experienced at tying up an hour show in an emotional punchy way? You know, moments when it's like, it's okay for there not to be a laugh rate at this bit because this is a, a thing worth saying.
1: I um I just noticed that I like things more when they have a um a point to their existence so that we can laugh for a long time but then it has kind of an an emotional weight to it um or rather it's actually saying something about this the world in a real way and I wanted to not shy away from sadness um. And also, what I want you know I, and I that bit again, that was one where I was just like rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting, and rewriting that bit because it's probably like a ten or twelve minute piece that's all about in a roundabout way, it's about my mom dying. it's specifically about this dinosaur junior show that I went to <laughs> um, but uh yeah no I, I i I like that i think I think it's incredibly admirable and cool and also I, I my heart goes out to you as a uk comic that the, the 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 expectation is one brand new hour every fucking year and it better have heart asshole like it's so <laughs> crazy to me that you guys are on that schedule um and but i think it's very admirable as well and so you know we i came up going i mean i went to edinburgh 6 years in a row or 7 years in a row something like that and so i think yeah if you it, it always feels to me like i watch some comedy specials where i'm just like loving it and i'm loving it spe- specifically americans and then all of a sudden it just ends <laughs> It's just like, like, what's happening? Oh, oh, it's over. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's always like, why did why is that the last joke? You know, it's
0: weird. My theory on that and tell me from your perspective, whether you think this is right. I there is a a habit amongst American comics, and I think it's born of the majority of your experience, your live experience being headlining clubs at the weekend. Where people kind of go, I've got three huge bits I can do here. I'll do one of them. That was big enough, and then people always go, "Thank you so much!" Over the big laugh, and they're yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. Me? It's like rather than having a predetermined shape, it's just the nature of is like I'll do that. I guess I'll do that. Any of these bits could close on. Boom! That went off. See ya.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it is. And but I mean, so and how does it work in the in like when you when you when you tour and do a weekend in the UK? What's the how is it different?
0: It's well touring and doing a weekend is kind of two different things. So touring would be that would be someone doing their hour long show or in a theatre, forty minutes in a break in an hour in a, in a theatre or in a comedy club. You know, a smaller kind of tour, uh-huh. but that would be that would be much more like the end of a. That would be very structured, like an Edinburgh show. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because we because the vast majority of us have grown up through the Edinburgh process, right. so you definitely know what your last bit is, yeah and chances are there are a load of callbacks arbitrary or otherwise that kind of tie it neatly and put a bow on it and you go that's that's definitely the end uh-huh. um, less so I think if you're doing a weekend club, but as you know in the, the circuit over here is is the, the comedy club circuit is less fixated on a specific headliner who's the main drawer. Oh. And it's much more. Oh yeah, it's much more. Like there will be three or four comedians, and oh, you will that's get, you'll, get, so you'll fun. get whatever you're given. Oh, it's great. Well, it, I mean, it's it's um, it's a very different economic model. There are pros and cons. Uh-huh. Um, one of them is it is possible to be a working full time comedian without being famous.
1: Because so beautiful.
0: Oh man, it's great. That is, I would say, on the way out now because oh really? You know, there's an economic crisis. There's a huge uh-huh. surplus of comedians, and it's much much harder to to achieve that, I think. It's possible, but it's all of those other qualifiers, like it's much harder to do that if you're a working class background or mm-hmm. you don't have people who can support you or you've got children and, you know, all the, all of those sorts of things play into it more, even more now than they did.
1: Yeah. The I, positive what, history of the UK there. <laughs> I remember doing stand-up gigs in London and then like doing 10 minutes and then they just gave me 150 pounds, which at the time of the exchange rate was like $300 for me. <laughs> yeah, man. And I was like what like in the in the states like you do you don't like if you do a club if you do a 10 minute spot at a club maybe you get 20 to 50 um but all the other bar shows that we do nobody gets paid you get paid in two drink tickets and so it's so it was so insane to me to be like oh you could just walk around and do a couple spots and make 450 dollars, like 250 pounds that's amazing it's so amazing yeah. the system is yeah. great it, but it demands it that you write a new hour every year
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or I mean there are people get away
1: without that. There are people who are very widely
0: respected kind of club acts who uh-huh. have, you know don't don't have anything like that kind of turnover but um I think I mean we could talk about that for a long time, but I think as it pertains to to your show, it's um we were talking about the uh like wanting to f- finish at a specific end point. You would be talking, I think I've slightly lost my thread. We were talking oh, yeah. about the ending of the show, the emotional resolution of the show.
1: Yeah. I the, wanted it to have a point for existence. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I wanted it to be about my mom because I recorded my previous special. I had recorded it in, my mom died in July and I recorded it in October. Um, And, but it, you know, the, all the material was written and, you know, good to go. So I had no, I couldn't, there was no extra, uh, there's no way to write it about her. And so I wanted this hour to in some way be about her, especially because this hour is about me becoming a dad. And so much of becoming a parent, for me at least, was wrapped up in the fact that the parent who raised me uh, was no longer there. Because as soon as you become a parent, I think it's the first time you, you think of your parents as human beings. Because you're actually going through the specific things as a human being and you're not just thinking of them as as pa- parents, but, like, that's a person who did all these things that I'm doing now. And yeah. especially having all these questions then and about my mom, not only as, like, not only for child rearing, but also about her as a person. It just shed a new light on my mom for me mm-hmm. uh, after, she, after I had had a kid. And so I kind of wanted it to be – I wanted it – If this is if this hour, if this special is going to be about parenting in some way, then I really do need to address her. And I think she should be the the emotional uh, through line for the show.
0: I'm not saying for a minute that you do this at all. But was there the concern when writing stuff about becoming a dad Uh that you then fall into the stand up tropes? You know yeah. the kind of. I mean, I remember on the on the, on the uh, uh, How Do I Land show. There's a lovely bit where you're, you're talking about airports rather than yeah. flying. But you're talking about airports. There's a lovely bit of address to the audience going, "Is he doing the airport material? Yes, we're doing it." You know, kind of go like that. That, really, that lovely kind of alt mainstream uh, meshing yeah. together. Of yeah, going, yeah. I'm going to do some. I'm going to do some <laughs> generic stuff about airlines um but it was was there a fear in kind of writing material about being a dad because that is a becoming a parent that's a, a well-worn path
1: yeah is, um, there,
0: is that part of the writing and part of the quality control that you have to go how could i not say things about this universal experience about which a thousand comics before me have said something
1: oh completely i was completely aware of it the whole time and uh I think being aware of it is half the battle, honestly, because you just you know that the joke really has to stand without being simply because, you know, audience will applaud for for just children in general (laughs) Um, and to avoid any like um, schmaltziness, uh, I think was was a, a. Right, you know, in the for in the front of my brain the whole time writing that stuff, and I hope that I have created something that's very specific and unique, and that hopefully doesn't smack of things that have come before it.
0: Yeah, you, know, you you have don't don't for a minute think I'm there. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Oh no, no, it, no not at not all. It's not like a softball intro to me going. Wow, well, <laughs> you say that?
1: <laughs> no, I was I like yeah, no, I was thinking about it a lot. I think you and, know. Y-
0: you, I think I read in another interview that you did about your process for making it with the director, with like li- yes. the literal director of the special, um, which, that seems to look quite unusual, that the director as in the person that organised which camera is pointing where, mm-hmm. is, was also a creative in the sense of feeding back on jokes or working with you on jokes is that right
1: yes jonah ray rodriguez he's a good friend of mine and uh, former stand-up he's given up stand-up comedy which was great for me uh, because uh, on he's... this
0: on this podcast we say completed Kurt. <laughs>
1: they, they completed being a stand-up yeah, yeah. <laughs> That is I got to tell him that. He'll really like that. I complete he completed being a stand up. And um, and so yeah, so he has a he has great sensibility. He writes tags for me. He ha- really helped me structure and he had been arguing with me like you need to end with the the piece about your mom. Like that's the ending part of the show. And I was like, "No, it's it's, it's too sad." We'll put that in the middle, and then I ended with that with the billionaires thing. I was like, "That's always like a big." It's like, and then when we watched it, it was actually Point Grey, the production company, that's like, yeah, "I think you need to end with this." And I was just like, "Well, I would like to apologize to you, Jonah. Um, <laughs> you were right. I should have ended with that." But it is tough because I would my my ideal audience. My ideal, ideal venue would be a theater. I just simply cannot sell enough tickets. <laughs> and so I am forced to play clubs. And so it, it's good in the fact that I constantly have to go up in front of people who have no idea who I am, and I have to convince them that they're going to have a good time and they're going to laugh and then make them laugh. with. Um, and so that's good in honing things, but it's bad in the fact that sometimes I respond to the wrong inputs um but once you look at it as a piece when once it's shot in a theater you can see uh this should be here where it needs to be and that was only the bi- that was the only big move that we made was we had to switch out those two two pieces
0: got it when you say you respond to the wrong inputs that's i if i'm understanding correctly that's that it's that thing of like chasing the biggest laugh has to go at the end because you're Uh a club act and that's and being aware yeah i think that's really important i think to remember to recognize the difference in the the different contexts that you perform yeah and go oh i'm constantly that's kind of one of the things i mean about the pros and cons of the way the uk circuit is different to the states there are lots of benefits Or the way the edinburgh the you know i got you could you could say oh american comics are very impressed by uh, british comics ability to turn over an hour a year or you could say american comics would say don't do that the quality will be lower <laughs> you know and those <laughs> are both accurate
1: <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like i yeah i mean like i would if i would had to make a, year, a new hour every year i would the quality would be lower i know just because like i work i work for three or four years on an hour um and I know when, when it's two years old or one year old, it's a certain thing. And then when it's four years old, it's another thing completely. Um, but I still admire it. God damn. it's just must be terrifying to be like, in August. Like, in September, it must be like, oh, all right, here we go again. <laughs> yeah. I've Over the years,
0: I think I've written 10 hours now. And over wow. the years, I've, I've got it down to February. Like, February, I'm like... Whew, here goes, <laughs> but wow. that's but I think I've, I've got a slightly more scoville kind of take on it now. You know, I think I'm a bit more inclined to go, the thing is the thing that it is on the night. Whereas I think previously I would have tried to build a perfect crystalline structure that's like that's that hour. Uh-huh. Now I'm a bit more inclined to go. I mean, also, I just felt like I can't spend my life going August, done September the 1st experience some new things that feels preposterous you know and you see that you, you do see it in the show often people go a year on a year off good show bad show because uh-huh. you know there was you know as you know you've been to Edinburgh you've seen shows whereby people have clearly done a fun experiential thing in order that they can write an Edinburgh show about <laughs> it <laughs> that doesn't seem the right way round at all um before we wrap up tell me um uh I'm interested in how you view yourself as a comic. How do you view your success? This is something I only ask people that I consider to be successful. Why aren't you? Why aren't you more successful than you are?
1: Right. That is, my I ask myself that question all the time. <laughs> but also, what I do realize too is that everyone asks themselves that. You know, uh, I remember hearing about um, to, uh, um, Oh man, what's his name? Uh, ben Stiller. Ben Stiller tried to get that terrible movie Walter Mitty made for 10 years, and people kept saying no to him. So Ben Stiller, arguably, during his tenure, was probably the most powerful American film co- comedic film actor, and he yeah. couldn't get the movie that he wanted to make. He could not get it made. For 10 years, people just had no to Ben Stiller. And so no matter... In my, no matter what level you're at, there is always, there will always be something that seems out of your reach. Um, and it will frustrate you, and you have to find, uh, joy in just the work itself because, uh, like, there's always someone more famous than you there's always someone more successful than you that being said god damn it i'd love it if i could just sell a weekend out that's all i want i just want a sold out weekend can i not have fucking one sold out weekend please <laughs>
0: and and how how do you thank you for your uh for that candid response um i mean i yeah it's something i'm frustrated with as well like i'm i produce some really good work but it's yeah. Yeah, I'm, it, there's always like, just get on that. I want to be on that. I just carousel, want to be on this the next, next little thing. one. It's a very yeah, 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 little yeah. one. Yeah. Um. Do you find, how old are your kids now? Three and five. So my kids are six and four. Okay. And something that's been happening in the, so I, I outrank you. Um, <laughs> so, something that's happened to me in the last year and a half, and obviously the pandemic has kind of uh, had an effect on that as well, is that, the idea of going away, now that my son started school, the idea of going away for weekends to do club gigs feels uh selfish, you uh-huh. know? It's without a, as I knew it would, as soon as mm-hmm. we were pregnant with our first child, we were like, I knew, oh shit, I've got five years to get more successful than I am now so yeah. that I don't have to tour everywhere. Yeah. Is is that, did, how does that kind of weigh on you? Are you aware oh, of that? Are you, you know?
1: Constantly. Are,
0: yeah. Daddy's got to go and fulfill his dream, kids. So I'm not going to see you all weekend now.
1: It's yeah, it's really um, it's tough. And my wife and I talk about it all the time where we're just we uh, we can't we made it a, a, a very a very I'm, I'm forgetting my words. We made a very conscious choice. That's what I wanted to say. We made a conscious choice once the kids were born that we, I would try to look for work in town so that I could be here. And it's just a crapshoot. You know, it's uh, it's if you sell something or if you get in a writer's room, then that's great. Now you're in town. Um, but it's those things are just much harder to do. Um, I can always go and do comedy and make money enough, at least for us to get barely by. Uh, you know so that's how it feels it feels like this again like uh i don't know what the future looks like Um, and are
0: you are you pitching and are you trying to get in writers rooms and are you doing all of those things
1: yeah we've written my wife and i've written two separate movies right now we're looking to actually get a director for one of them and um we just did a whole round of network pitching from may until just recently that didn't go. Um, we were lucky enough two years ago to sell a show to NBC, um, but then that didn't end up getting shot. Um, so, you know, it's just like, and then, then the, the, it, once you're in Los Angeles, like the development cycle can can take up all your time. It, mm-hmm. it can take up all of your writing and all of your actual time. And then all of a sudden you look at last four years and you're like, well, what happened? Like I wrote so much, so many things, but only like a couple executives read them. Um, and that seems very frustrating where it pays the bills, but you're like, well, what is, what are we doing? Um, so that's why that actually feels nice to have a movie to point to like a script. I physically printed it out and put it on the bookshelf just to be like, <laughs> there's four years of my life. <laughs>
0: and this if is a movie. This is the one you're looking for a director for.
1: Yes. 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 Can you
0: tell us anything about it? Or is it all? Yeah, over It's raps, about, could... it's
1: about, um, my, I found out my mom had a kid in, high school before me that would have been kept secret for her entire life and so it's about uh going to look for him uh so it's about two half brothers looking for a brother they didn't know they had after their mom died
0: and do you when you start writing that movie and you're and you know if you're writing scripts and dialogue a lot what are because that's not something I've spent much time doing at all. The, the process in the UK is so arcane and filled with disappointment. It feels like it, it's the same experience that you're having, but with so much, so far fewer opportunities, and a general and a general kind of vibe. Like I've been to meetings in America where you just glide out, going, "Wow, we're all going to be massively famous." Whereas over here, the equivalent meeting is sort of tutting, and you know, what I mean like, well, I mean, good luck, you know. <laughs> So it's, uh, you know, that's, that's been my limited experience. Obviously, yeah. great work is being made by great people. But <laughs> in terms of the, the skills required, the skill set required to sit down and put yourself into another person's shoes, but, you, you know, to write dialogue, to write character rather yeah. than jokes and absurdity, what were some of the the kind of the biggest things you learned in in trying to do that, in trying to shape that?
1: The The biggest... Things that I struggle with it are because I dialogue, I don't necessarily have a, a, a too hard of a time with because it's a lot like improvising. Uh, you know, you just kind of like talk to yourself. But um, structure wise, the structure of a movie and how much to and how much do you want it to be structured like a studio film? Because uh, you can learn a structure and you can learn okay, this is it, first, second, third act. This is where, you know, the, the hero decides, you know, the the whole, whole hero's journey. That structure itself took me a very long time to get into my brain, and now I've gotten, like, into my brain, and now I'm we're starting to, like, deconstruct it and take the pieces that I actually think are actually necessary. Um, that's the part that's very interesting, to, like, learn the rules very firmly and then know exactly where you want to break them.
0: And did you did you learn those from school, from videos, from books, from uh, seeing loads of stuff?
1: From books and from seeing lots of stuff, and from writing lots of stuff, um, and you sometimes like if once you write a movie, you're just like, all right, this follows all the things. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, there's this idea that like these books will suggest to you that if you follow their instructions and you follow their structure, like you'll have a good movie. And it doesn't necessarily, that's mm. not, that's not true.
0: <laughs> you, you, just, have a... you just, you just won't have made one of the dumber, one of the dumber mistakes.
1: Exactly. I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I always mention this book on the podcast, so we'll probably edit this out. But have you read Adventures in the Screen Trade?
1: No, I haven't. Oh, my
0: God. Oh, my God. You've got to read this book. So it's by the guy. It's by William Goldman, who wrote The Princess Bride and Marathon Man. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. He he wrote it in the 80s, I guess, about Uh a kind of movie heyday of the late 70s. And he talks talks about the beats of a story and how, Uh you know, any movie you watch and you're thinking, well, I liked it, but it just didn't work. It's because they fucked the beats up. I yes, really yes. recommend it. It's super fun okay. and funny to read as well. It yeah. is. That's yeah. what
1: is so fucking fascinating about structure is that it operates purely on a subconscious level. Like you don't notice the structure; you just feel not good about a movie. It's yeah. that's what I think is fascinating about it. Like yeah. when you're just like, oh, why didn't I? Why don't I like this? And then you think about it, you're like, oh, it's because the structure is wrong. Yeah, yeah.
0: Let's do some quick fire stuff just to wrap up with. Tell me first uh, how you have you launched or are you about to launch the special? Via it is Moment? out. It is out it's right out. now. It's and on. You did, uh, what was yeah? What was the the way that you released it?
1: So it's a three tier release. The first tier is on Moment, um, which is kind of like a new. Way of getting specials f- direct from comedians to fans. And Is that so it's
0: Moment House. Is that Moment, Moment House?
1: They used to be called Moment House. And of gotcha. course, before even anyone knows exactly what they are, they have changed their fucking name. So helpful <laughs> gotcha. for everyone across the board. Yeah, <laughs> Moment, got it. So it's called Moment. It's Moment.co. And they stream, they stream live concerts, but they're also doing pre recorded comedy specials. And so you can get a ticket, quote unquote, uh for $12 and watch mm-hmm. a special for the next 3 weeks. So it's up there until I think November 15th or 17th. Okay. Um and then starting on November 16th it will go to TV on demand uh you know outlets like amazon and whatever you guys have in the uk that's just like you know you can buy for 18 bucks or whatever you can buy a movie uh it'll be in all those things google play all that sort of stuff and then it's there for one month and then it comes down off that and then it will go to youtube um, and amazon prime with ads so it'll be with ads on youtube and with ads on amazon prime and okay. that's kind of the idea being that it really does take someone like three or four times seeing the thi- seeing like an advertisement for the thing before they're like, all right, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll give it a chance. And so by the time it gets to YouTube, you've had like three rounds of press coverage for it. So hopefully yes. people, are, people will see it then. And then along the yes. way, we hopefully maybe make our money back because we shot it on spec, you know?
0: Okay. okay. Yeah. And, and how much are you a part of those decisions is that like that? the decision to do it in that particular way? 100%. That, yeah. yeah. Okay. Did that come from you?
1: Uh, no, the structure did not come from me. That is um, the production company. We, we, One of the production companies, 800-pound Gorilla. This is the way they... Lo- th-
0: lovely bunch of guys. Yeah, they're they, great. They did, they did my special as well. Not oh, really nice. Yet, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's great.
1: They, they've kind of like said like, look, this is we've had success with this model yeah. in the past. And so, uh, yeah, so far it's going great. And, uh, all that being said, if someone wants to watch it, they can just go to perfectly stupid.com and every place that it's available will pop up. Great. Yeah.
0: Great. Yeah. Nice. Succinct. Yeah. Um, what's your three or four quickies, quick fire ones before we wrap up. Thank you for your time. Kyle. I've really enjoyed oh,
1: that. Th- yeah. Thank you. Um,
0: what's your favorite opening line of another comic?
1: Oh man. Um, I mean, I think it's Bernie Mac at what he had that at the, I think it was a deaf comedy jam. and He just comes out and goes, I ain't afraid of you motherfuckers. Yeah, you, you, you
0: don't understand. <laughs> I ain't afraid of you motherfuckers. That's, I mean, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> um, who is the best comedy writer? Stand up. Who, who writes the best stand up?
1: Who writes the best stand up? Ooh.
0: I, like for, for themselves or, you know what I mean? Like who, who's the best stand up brackets writing? as opposed to who's the best. Oh, probably Stuart Lee. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm sure that's like, everybody
1: says that in the UK, but in the, in the United States, if I said that, people would be like, who's that?
0: Yeah, sure. (laughs) No one says it in the UK. It's a bit obvious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Over here. That's a brilliant answer. I just want you to know.
0: (laughs) If you had one quality which got you where you are, besides wow. your comic ability, besides your actual ability to do the, the comedy bit of it, mm-hmm. what would it be?
1: Um, <laughs> my, I guess, my relatively uh, small shoe size as compared to my height, I would say. It's rare. <laughs> it's a rare combination. And I think people can feel that from me.
0: What's your shoe size?
1: I don't know. It's not going to translate. I'm I'm at like a nine and a half.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that is unusual. (laughs) Is that a breastfeeding thing?
1: Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: How do you cope? What do you say to yourself when it all goes wrong? What do you say to yourself on stage when something bombs or afterwards when you're reflecting on it?
1: Oh, it is. It's written right here on the wall. Oh, Um, uh, try again, fail again, fail better
0: very nice that's samuel, a Beckett quote samuel beckett very yeah. nice um and f- i mean do you re- just to, just to stay with that for a second do you say that to yourself in the moment or is that a thing you say like when you're licking your wounds um like if you're on stage you've just told a joke it's oh, got nothing. okay what's and your just, what, what do you think like not even like a mantra but what do you think what's that experience like what how do you get to the next one what's the what's the impulse
1: I, it's usually to be like well this is surprising <laughs> <laughs> well look at how unique this moment is like there is something about there is something about uh, the there's a there is a certain beauty in a bomb, right i i recently did a <laughs> i recently did i was hired to do 20 minutes at the bel-air country club um like you know the place where i don't, they took I don't the fresh know what friends. that is but
0: i feel like yeah. i know what that is yeah
1: uh bel-air is um the 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 most wealthy part of los angeles and so this is the most wealthy part of the most wealthy people and it's their country club so it's a golf course and i was hired to do 20 minutes there and i was like i don't have any jokes about golf i don't do crowd work Are you sure you want me to do this and they're like yeah these dudes just love to laugh and i came <laughs> and i did 20 minutes no shit 20 minutes Twenty minutes to dead silence. To dead silence. No one, no one smiled. It was insane. And at a certain point, I was just like, I just started. I was just like, this is amazing. I started talking to the audience about it. I was like, do you guys understand that I'm telling you jokes? Like, is this performance art at this point? Like, it was just like thrilling and crazy and embarrassing and awful. Um, but it is, but I did, uh, while it was happening, I was like, oh, this is a bit, I'm gonna make this into a bit.
0: (laughs) Last question. Are you happy?
1: I think I am. Yeah. I, I do think I'm happy. Uh, I really, I, I try to, I realize right now that I'm in a very, um, I will look back in this time of life and be like, "This was a good time." My my mo- my wife's mother is still alive and she's healthy, and the kids are safe and they're and they're healthy, and we're all together, and that's like more than anyone uh, can ask for. And so I try and really just appreciate that every day. Thanks, man. Thank you.
0: So that was Kurt Brownola. Remember, do try and catch perfectly stupid. Follow him, particularly follow him on Instagram. We talked about that a little bit. Go to uh, follow him at Kurt Brownola on Instagram because he's been putting up loads and loads of little clips. So see if those wet your appetite. The uh, the very viral billionaires one in particular is very, very funny. If we haven't already spoiled the punchlines in the episode, thank you, Kurt. KurtBrownola.com for everything to do with him. Comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. If you'd like to stump up your hard earned cash to support this. Project. Yes, yeah, not just a podcast, mate. It's a project. It's a project. God, I hate myself. Um, or com slash unmissable if you would like to submit your unmissable moments and gradually kill me between now and Christmas. Get stuck into that. Um, oh this I've just mentioned Christmas. I was gonna get round to doing merch. There's no possibility this year. I'm so sorry. Next year you can buy the book. How's that? Um so um uh, that's everything. Thank you to producer Nathan for sorting everything out. Uh, thank you to Moz for logging. The music was by Rob Smouten. Um, Susie is now helping me enormously with uh, the archiving, um, the 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 interpretation of the archive additions to the archive. I'll think of a job title for Susie soon, but thank you. You deserve a shout out on the pod as well. Um, and also welcome, let's quickly welcome some new insiders who are all owed a little personal message from me that they will receive in the next half an hour. Uh, in- oh God, I've committed to it now. This is awful. Uh, including Mandy, Alexandra, James, Mitchell, Lewis, Ben, KS. Love that. Uh, Mohammed, Lisa and Andrea. Thank you all very much. You are the people who have... Um, you are some of the people, a sprinkling of the people who have joined between uh, September and now. Um, and you uh, all get a special something for a reason that will become apparent. Yes. Fascinating not goodbye forever. Goodbye for now. That's tedious. Goodbye then. (laughs) Um, What is, what's, come on, I was supposed to come up with another sign-off. What did I say on the infinite sofa? I remember. I used to love that. It's the first time I had a proper, proper sign-off. Look after yourselves. I can't be bothered. (laughs)